0: Good morning, church. Let's uh, say that again. Good morning, church. Uh, good morning, uh, folks over in the Fellowship Center. Uh, y'all, I'm not, uh, I'm not hearing you. Good morning, those in the Fellowship Center. I'm looking at you. Somebody's already yawning. Uh, so I'm hoping y'all are getting this feed over there, Okay. All right, uh, come on up, and let's, we're going to do our uh, scripture reading here. Introduce you to Miss Reese Bird. I think you're 10 years old, aren't you, Reese? And we are very much appreciative of you being willing to read, okay? So y'all listen good, and I'm going to hold this mic for you, and you just read away. Or Do you want to hold it? Okay, you can hold it. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go, leave your life of sin. Awesome, Reese. Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you so much, Reese, for reading that. And you gotta love those words, right? Neither do I condemn you. Cause I'll tell you, it doesn't take long listening to people around the world, uh, visit or, and there's plenty of condemning going on, right? Uh, I think the last thing we need is any more judges, uh, uh, unless they're gonna be a whole lot more like Jesus, uh, uh in this old world. That's what we need. So, uh, I wanna make sure our, uh, our, uh, uh fellowship center guys are y'all with us uh give me a little clap if you're with us over there there we go all right i I got you now good deal good deal want to make sure there also our live stream folks i saw a lot of folks uh uh clicking on there and you know isn't it amazing uh technology uh i I can sit here right here and i can watch myself talk uh i've got it on silent because i don't want to hear myself and I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, there's a little delay, so I don't want to talk behind my own back. Uh, i let other people do that. Good morning, Brianna. She said good morning, Mike. There's Rick Sullins. There's Gail. There's Misty. Uh, Clay McConnell. Good job, brother. Uh, uh, host of folks, Emmon. Glad you're in the house. So uh, that's pretty neat that we are able to go all over the world. You know, uh, Wednesday night, at the peak of the week, I was uh, speaking, and I was looking at some of the folks signing on. It was amazing, just a little old small peak of the week class, just diving into the Word of God. And there were people from California, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, New York, some even overseas. And you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. What a great time we live in. So, so many people think it's such a bad time. But I think what a great time. People, because of uncertainty, people are more conscious of death and life. And so what a great time for us as Christians who have a message of hope. Because to be honest with you, I'm not too worried about this thing of death. Now, I'm not looking to take a, you know, gather up a load and go right now. But I'm just saying we've got hope for the future, right? So we know what's beyond the grave, and so uh, for those in the world, they need to be worried much more about the six feet under than they do the six feet apart. Um, so I'm just saying, we have hope, and we have a message for our world that's in a in a mess. And so I'm so grateful that uh, this church, you guys have such confidence in the lord and that you're out sharing the good news not only individually in your homes and families but with people around the world let's just dive into this text in john chapter 8 uh, i want to just want to just read the whole story to you again and then break this thing down and talk about it a little bit verse 2 of john 8 at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he set out to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, some versions say the scribes, brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say?" And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accus- accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, if you look at this text, and if you're looking at the NIV, there may be a footnote in your text or some other versions that say this section of Scripture was not in some of the earlier manuscripts. So there's been some question over the years, does this belong in the Bible? Really, not much about does it belong in the Bible, but where does it belong in the Bible? Uh, some manuscripts, uh, some of the older ones, it's called the sealed manuscripts, uh, written in capital, uh, who have uh, the majority of the text there. Some of those left it out. It is, it is in some of those older ones. Then there are a couple of manuscripts that just leave a blank here, like something belonged here, but they didn't have John 1 through 8. Then there are those who have it in the book of Luke, which is interesting. And then there are manuscripts that have it in the back of uh, the book of John. So, I mean, why? you say, Mike, why do you want to get into all that? Why do you address that? Well, uh, I don't want to just skip over something like this and, and kind of leave us with questions. Look, uh, the translators, after looking at all the evidence, felt, uh, felt for sure that it belonged uh, in the Bible. The real question was really about where it belonged in the Bible. Manus- there, so there are some manuscripts concerns about this. But they believed in its authenticity, but they questioned its chronology, if that makes sense to you. So if you're trying to decide about a text and you've got it and you don't know sure about it, so what are some of the questions translators ask themselves? Here's what they usually ask. Here's what they would ask about a text. Do these verses teach truth that violate other scriptures? And the answer is no. Another question they would ask, do these verses substantiate or or corroborate other scriptures? And the answer is yes. Then they would ask this, do these verses fit all we know of the person person and teachings of Jesus? Yes, this fits what he taught. And then they would ask, is there definitive or conclusive evidence that these verses should be left out? And no, there's no evidence that these should be left out. So that's why with confidence they have these in the Bible, even though there's some question maybe about where they belong in terms of time. So just didn't want to, you know, it'd be easy just to like skip from the end of seven and go to verse 12 of, of John and then go on from there and not deal with these verses. But I don't want to do that. They are in the Bible. We do need to deal with them. But I also wanted you to know why there was sometimes some question about that when you see some of those footnotes in your Bible. Uh, So think about this for a minute. This is a story of a woman caught in adultery. No one spoke more serious about breaking that command than Jesus. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus said... You have heard it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then Matthew 19:5 and 6, Jesus said, "For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and with the two will be, uh, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, you know, let no one." separate yet it happens so what you understand as we dive into the story and we deal with this one i want you to understand jesus who's gonna is gonna do some great things here with a woman in an adulterous situation and yet i don't want you to ever forget the seriousness and heaviness of which what jesus taught about this is one man one woman one life and we live in a world that thinks nothing of throwing a marriage away. We live in a world of people who marry and get married and break up and, com- and commit adultery and, and divorce. And, get, and they don't think anything about it anymore. We do need to restore the ideal. And at the same time, have a message for those that are broken by that sin. And that's really the person of Jesus and how he handles this. So let's, uh, you're going to see in this, by the way, you're going to see in this, as we look at these groups of people in the context, you're going to see some missing mercy. You're going to see some needing mercy. You're going to see some Jesus in particular sharing mercy. And you're going to see some learning or seeing mercy. Now, this context of this is written. Did you get that in the first verse? What time of day it was? Did you get that? It's dawn. How many were up at dawn today in this room? Raise your hand. Fellowship said, "How many of y'all were up at dawn?" Up, there's three people in the, the, that room, and there's two here. Uh, that doesn't make it uh, too big of a Bible class at dawn, you know. But they're at dawn. This is an early morning Bible class, and they're gathered in the temple courts for a particular purpose to learn from Jesus. Now, I'm thinking if I had that opportunity, I don't care what time of day it is. I'm getting up and I'm getting there, right? It's dawn. And so they've gathered up and they're, and they're ready for him to sit down and to teach them. Now, that's the, that's the atmosphere. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this Bible class... Teachers, have you ever had something interrupt your Bible class and just kind of throw you off? Uh, one time I was teaching a, 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 a class here... Uh, Actually, was in this auditorium years and years ago, and the entire power went off. Electricity went off, no sound system, everything's out. And so, uh, Dave, I got down on the floor, we gathered everybody into one section here, and I just went old style, just, you know, hollering, preaching. Well, I know you think I still do that, but I I mean, I, I did it more. And I mean, I'm loud, I'm hollering, there, and forget all the electronic stuff, we're just getting after it. And I get right to the end. And I remember the title of the sermon was called When We All Get to Heaven. And I mean, I'm making that point about be sure you're getting to heaven. And I offer the invitation, and boom, the lights come on. It was just like, thank you, Lord, you know. <laughs> but interruptions in a Bible class, boy, did, they, did Jesus have one this day. Of course, what's great is that nothing takes Jesus by surprise, does it? Let me say this on a side note. Interruptions sometimes are the greatest opportunities for grace. If you get frustrated by people interrupting you and what you have going on, remember, sometimes that might be the greatest opportunity for grace. That was the case here. So, these accusers these pharisees and scribes the scribes were the guys that were so passionate about the leather ones that did all the writing you know not everyone could write back in this day and those within the law that had that skill i mean that with with great detail they reproduced the scriptures so you've got the scribes that are dedicated to the laws zealous for it and then you've got the pharisees and so they're grouped together and the pharisees are zealous for keeping the law And they're zealous for making others keep the law, too. So you've got these two groups of people. And they want to trap Jesus. So what's the picture of the accusers? They're the religious elite. They're uh, uh, They're the teachers of the law. And yet they're the ones that come carrying the stones ready to throw. But now they do it to accuse Jesus. By the way, who's called the accuser in the Bible? The devil. The devil. He's behind all this. Think about these guys. They gather up. Now, they bring this woman, and and she's caught in adultery. And I don't know what they did with the man. I don't know if the man was in the crowd with them. I don't know if, if they just let him run off. But somehow or another, you get the idea, right, that they're setting a trap. They trapped her, and now they're trying to trap Jesus. Now, they carry this woman, and they make her stand up in the temple courts in front of the Bible class. In her shame and in her brokenness, they stand up there in front of everybody. The only word I could think to describe these accusers was cruel. I mean, that's cruelty. That's barbaric. To treat a human being like that. Now they didn't see her as a human being. They didn't see value in her. They only saw her as an object to trap Jesus. Who they really wanted to see accused. They're cruel. They're void of compassion. They're void of mercy. Not only that, they're deceitful. Because it tells you here in the text. The reason they did this was to try to. To put Jesus in a bind and trap him with his answers. So they have bad motives. They're vindictive. They're hypocrites. Now, do you get the picture of these guys? And yet, they're the religious elite. Void of heart and sincerity. Void of truth and honesty. Void of compassion and mercy. That's the characteristics that marked this group of people. You see now why wars can be started by religious people? Matter of fact, wars are still going on in the name of religion, aren't they? You know, I just uh, read an article the other day from one of our brothers in South Africa about a big, uh, some big mega church that had to, Fall out. The preacher, the pastor died. They had a whole bunch of money. A bunch of the leaders got in a big fight over the money in the church. And come in and had a church shooting among themselves. Left several dead and 40 held hostage over greed within the body of Christ at that particular location. Can religion really be the catalyst for war and killings and violence? Sure it can. Happens every day. When it's void of the gospel, when it's void of Christ, this is what it leads to. This is the kind of group that's got this woman standing in front of everybody. They didn't bother to bring the man. Notice that. Yet they bring her. Well, what about the characteristics of the woman herself? This woman that's accused, this one needing mercy... I just can't imagine how humiliating it must have been. Because you think about it for a minute. If somehow or another we could throw up a picture of you in your deepest and darkest sin on the screen and everyone to see it, how would that make you feel? To be made to stand before an audience, not of our own free will, and all of our sinfulness and all the deep ugliness of that sin... And by the way, the world doesn't see her sin as ugly. Only only Christianity, only Jesus sees, the only God sees it as ugly. People who don't believe don't see it ugly. Matter of fact, they see it as something that's attractive. Every soap opera has this picture on it, except it's just showing the, the side from the world, some pleasure, some affair, somebody falls in love with somebody else and leaves a, a husband. And, all, and these, all that you see, and all they elevate that sin. Yet the reality of it is in this woman standing there in shame and brokenness. But look, before we get too far down the road on the woman, she did commit adultery. Don't fail to see the ugliness and the darkness of her sin, the tragedy of it. At some point there in her life, She chose the desires of her flesh over the desires of God's demand. And she made that choice. So don't, let's don't too quickly run past that. Jesus is not happy with her choices. Nor should he be. She is publicly put on display. And when Jesus looked at her, he didn't wink at her like nothing was wrong with her sin. Everything would be okay. That's not how he responded. So here she is, one desperately needing grace. She needed mercy. She's caught in this sin that she has chosen to be in. And now, this is, by, by the way, this is how Satan multiplies Sin out. One sin of ours all of a sudden gets brought into the open of other people and then it gets multiplied to do damage to more and more folks. This is how that works. But this woman, she needed mercy. You ever, you ever been to that spot in your life where you're just down and it's dark and you know you've just let your mind or your flesh overcome you? And you, you're ready to cry. You're crying out to Jesus. You need mercy. You need grace. You ever been to that spot? That's the other thing. See, we're no. Uh, she's no different than me. I, sometimes we preach this story and act like she's something ugly and terrible, and like I'm not. It could be me standing there. It could be any of us in our own sinfulness. None of us are any holier than she is. For Paul made it clear we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are in need of the grace and the mercy that comes through the one named Jesus Christ. But there she is being used. You know what's really kind of sad about this? I was thinking about this. The very people that used her should have been the very people that could offer her hope and rescue religious people who knew about God they're the ones that should have been able to give her some hope instead they had nothing to give her except rocks and I thought how sad that is when religion gets to the point that it has nothing to offer the sinner except condemnation from a viewpoint of thinking somehow or another mine's not quite as bad as yours (laughs) well They put out this uh, challenge to Jesus about stoning her. Now, this is interesting because I want you to uh, I want you to think about the wisdom and mercy of Jesus as he answers this. First, let's look at the wisdom of it. now. They're Pharisees, right? Got it. They know the law. They understand it. So here's what happens. They put this question to him. The law says stone. Now, Jesus, he knows the law. He doesn't tell them, don't carry out the law. That they think they're going to trap him. And here's what he says. You know, he says, I'll tell you what, whoever, whoever is sinless, just let him go ahead and throw the first stone. Now, now, why is that important? Well, now they knew Deuteronomy and the law that said you could stone someone that's caught in adultery. By the way, you stoned them both, the man and the woman. And then what the law said, so they bring this up to Jesus. And so Jesus says, I'll tell you what, you throw the first stone. Now, since they know and are convicted by their own sinfulness, they listen to him and they drop the stones. You can hear them fall and thud, 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 one at a time. As the older ones left first, I I thought that was interesting. I think the younger ones were just waiting to see what they would do, and they followed suit. But the older ones leave. Now, this is the wisdom of it. Jesus doesn't say, don't fulfill the law. He just challenges their life and they leave. Now, the law said in order to stone somebody, the accusers, those that caught them, they had to be the ones that took them out, put them out front and threw the first stone. So guess what? When they're gone, they can't practice the law. When they're gone, Jesus... Can't fulfill that. The accusers aren't there. See his wisdom in that? That's why he says to her, Where are your accusers? Where are those that are supposed to act this out in the law the way it's supposed to be done? Well, there's no one here. He says, Is is anybody here to condemn me? And she says these words. These are the only words we have from the woman No one, sir. Which the word service is the same word for Lord. No one Lord. And Jesus says those beautiful words, Neither do I condemn you. Now that reminds you of John three seventeen, right? Everybody's thinking, well, I ought to know 3, 7. You know three sixteen. Learn 17. For God didn't send the Son of the world to condemn the world, but to be saved through Him. Jesus is In action, an illustration showing the truth of John 3, 16 and 17. And he says, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't wink at her sinful choice. But he did give her great opportunity for mercy. So Jesus answered in wisdom. Wisdom by the way, the other thing that they thought they would catch him in on this wise answer, look, the Romans at that time refused to let the Jews practice capital punishment. That's why they had to get permission from Pilate in order to crucify Christ. Remember that? They, had in char- they were in charge of capital punishment. So if Jesus says, okay, hey, we will stone her, then, uh, then all of a sudden the Romans are on him too. You can't do that. See see the wisdom in that? There's a lot more wisdom here about, about how Jesus answers than we realize, I think. And then, so Jesus answers with wisdom, but he answers with mercy. He did not condemn her. He gave her a brand new start. A new start with mercy. Let me ask you. How many of you in your life at times would say, if someone said, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a do over. You get to start all over again. Is there anything you would do, is there any of you that would take that you would do something different? Okay, me and three other people. Anybody out there would you there we go. Hey, I'm doing some things different. If I get a brand new start, God says you can start all over. And that ugliness that you've been in, i tell you what, I'm going to do away with that. We're going to give you a brand new start, a brand new day, a brand new morning. His mercies are new what? Every morning. How many of us would say, yes, I'm on board with that. I need a new start. If you were dragged out of your adulterous situation, if you were dragged out of your drunkenness or your addiction, you're dragged out of your immorality and sit in front of everybody and Jesus sees your sin and he says, I'm not going to condemn you. I just want you to leave that life. Here's mercy for you. How many of you would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and a brand new start. Wow. What a great offer comes to this woman. So the real question becomes who are you most like in the story? Are you most like the uh, Pharisees? Had, they were void of mercy? I've been that, I've been that guy before. Have any of you ever been him? I've been that guy. Matter of fact, I saw that guy yesterday in a store. You better get your mask on. (laughs) Anybody ever seen that guy? The one that's gonna judge all your personal stuff? I've been that guy. Now, some of you are saying, "Ooh, you just—I am that guy now. You just tell, told on me." Hey, uh, uh, you're the guy. You're going to make sure that everything's lined up right, and when it does you're going to correct it, and you're going to challenge it, and you're going to say somebody ought to do something about that. I've dealt with that guy in the church as an elder. That man or that woman that comes to me and points out somebody else's sin and says, "You elders need to do something about that." I've had that. You ever had that, Paul? I thought so. Since he's the only one that laughed out loud, all the rest of you did. And I said, "That's Paul got that one, right? You got to do something about that." We've all been that person. I've been that guy to stand up and read and preach out strong against something. I don't ever want to do that, like I don't see my own sinfulness. See. By the way, Jesus is not laying down a principle that says you can never hold anybody accountable for their sin. You gotta always just give them right. He's not doing that. This is not a situation. He's not saying this is how you do church discipline. This is one incident with a context he's dealing with. He's not how you, he's not saying we can't hold each other accountable for our sins. Matter of fact, we must hold each other accountable for our sinfulness. But we must do it from a heart that understands we've been given mercy we've been given hope and we only want mercy and hope for someone else that's a whole different context than a bunch of religious teachers getting up with with no mercy and no heart just wanting to use their religious system to bring condemnation to people that's a whole different picture maybe you're that or have been that pharisee or scribe or maybe you're more like the woman i've been like her I've been like her where I said, God, I don't want anybody to see my darkness. It's, it's just too ugly. Please don't stand me up in front of everybody. I'm too ashamed. You know, there's a verse in Ephesians, interesting, Paul writes that sometimes things are done so bad in darkness that even those things that are in darkness don't need to be spoke of. I always warn people, even when they give their testimonies, I love people giving their testimonies. Those are things that say, God rescued me. But always be, I'm, always, I'm always challenged in my life to challenge them to say, now look. You don't have to give every dark detail of the sin you were in. There are some things so bad we don't even mention them. I was, uh, I drove up to see my mom Friday night and, uh, she's in a nursing home, 92 years old. And my mom is, uh, they think she's getting close to death. Now, I've seen her be close to death several times and, and she hangs on. So I, you never know, do I go? Do I stay? Right. You know how that is. Some of you have dealt with that, but it's a nursing home and they're not letting anybody in, but they call the family in. Then you think this is pretty serious. So I, Susan said, you need to, you better just go. So I, I, said, okay. So I drove up there Friday and I visited my mom and, uh, uh, she was conscious and we were talking and some, sometimes she would talk out of her head a little bit, you know, and, uh, one time she was saying, help me, help me, and, and, uh, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. You know, your mom's laying there saying, help me, help me. You know how bad that feels when you can't help. Uh, I just made every man feel bad about his mom right then. Now, moms, you all know what to say, right? So, uh, I said, what do you want me to help you with, mom? I said, are you hurting? She, and then she would kind of get new life and say, oh, no, I'm not hurting. And, uh, she said, I'm praying. I thought, that's great. So we visited, and by the way, some of you have asked about her, and I appreciate your prayers for her. And, uh, uh. And I, someone will say, "How is your mom?" I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, she's got pneumonia. And she's ninety plus years, uh, so I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, you know, uh, look, I, she she, uh, she smokes, you know, habitually all the time. I, we I kid her about it now. I used to confront her. Now I kid her about. It. And I told someone that, that, that whatever it is. Even if she got the virus, it, it's not—that's not, not going to kill her. There's so much build up there that not even bad stuff can live. You know what I'm saying? So uh, uh, we we joke about it, and so but she's she's laying there, and we're talking, and my brothers are there. It was a it was a great scene, really, to me. And then I and it was a spiritual moment, you know. I prayed with her. I heard her say at one point, "I love I love you, Jesus." hear your mom say that out loud It's pretty neat, right so i load up and i head back and i'm late late at night i'm driving all the way back here and so i've I turned my radio on i thought you know you can you can find a lot of great things late at night on the radio and so uh i've got uh, uh that uh, sirius xm deal i'm listening to some preachers for a while you can be healed of anything late at night and uh for, ten dollars donation and then i'd listen to something else and so uh, and then i there's like three or four comedy channels and i turned one of those on and i said i could use some laughter and it was the filthiest mouth men and women i have ever heard in my life and it was almost like a train wreck to me You, you know you don't want to look because it's so bad, but you just kind of have to look. I was kind of like, did I just hear that? And I kind of have to hear a little bit more. And I'm like, oh, no, it really was that bad. I mean, I'm like, you know, you listen a little bit. And I'm like, I need a shower. I mean, you know, it was just dark, ugly. And I thought, do people really, people in the world, I've, I've forgotten. I've been out of the world and I forgot how ugly and how desperate people are. And they laugh about it in the world about how sinful things are. And then I'm reminded I'm, I'm just that sinful. I'm not really better than they are. I'm in a better situation because of Jesus' mercy, but I'm no more valuable than they are. Created in the image of God and they need Jesus more than they need the next breath of fresh air. This woman was that way Maybe you're not the, like the woman, or maybe you're not like the Pharisees. Maybe you're more like Jesus. You're someone that just shares mercy everywhere you go. I love those kind of people. I can't wait to get around them, right? People that always just seem like they have an encouraging word, and when you're with them, you're the only one in the room, and they speak right to you, and there's no words of condemnation. There's just words to move on and, and, and serve. And I thought, man, what a, what a blessing. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be one of those that shares mercy. Not withholds it. And then there's another group we forget about in the story. It's the, remember the people came at dawn for the Bible class? Remember them? Forget about them? They're sitting there seeing all this. They leave that day and they go to their friend who didn't come that day and they say, man, you should have been in Bible class today. Wow. That we see something. You talk about an illustration of grace and mercy. You should have seen the teacher and what he did today. Wow! I want to ask the worship team to come on up, praise team. And we're going to have an invitation here in a moment. And uh, what it is, an invitation is simply our word to you that whatever brokenness you find yourself in, we're here together. And we've all been broken too. That's what an invitation is at our church family. It's family time. Down front in the in the, in the worship center, there are going to be people down there to pray with you. Uh, there will be people in this room also to pray with you. And and it's just some, some forever family time. Now, before we do that, I want to remind you of a couple of things. You remember there's an old, old song... I thought about this when I read this story. Mercy, mercy there was great and grace was free. It's a song about Calvary. It says, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At, that with me calvary 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 is where grace is found calvary calvary is where love is found calvary is where forgiveness is found calvary is where sin is paid for calvary is where humility is demonstrated calvary is where my shame is on display but jesus takes my shame for me calvary is where my punishment is paid for calvary is where blood is shed For my ugliness. Calvary is where suffering of Christ takes place and is displayed to the world. Calvary is where mercy is magnified for me. At Calvary. At Calvary. The old saying is true. May God have mercy on your soul. Except I say it with a smile. Because God does have mercy on my soul. You want that new beginning and that new mercy? It's yours. If you have a need, come while we stand and while we sing.